Are you ready for a word from God? You are? I hope so. I don't intend to just teach scripture today. I tend to bring something that I believe the Lord has laid on, a heart, on my heart specifically for this congregation. But it has broader implications for the church generally. Um, if you remember last week I said I wanted to get a word for the Lord for the year. And as I sought the presence of the Lord, it wasn't as in previous years that the Lord gave me, as it were, a label for the year. And the reason why he didn't say this is the year of X was because I believe that there is a conditional nature to this which I'm bringing today. I think there is something of God's heart that says you can have it if you want it. Are you you hearing me? So um, please be open-hearted. Can I have my slide, please? I'm going to talk about hosting the present and the four stages of revival. The scripture in focus from the passage I'm going to read is verse 14. I'm going to read the full passage in a minute. Um, The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain in the land. Can we say amen? Amen. Let me read from 1 Kings 17, the full passage where that is set. We're going to look at hosting the presence four stages of revival. Just before we've read the passage, I want you to know that we'll mainly look at the first two stages, and there'll be obvious reasons for that when I get into the material. So 1 Kings 17, now Elijah with the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Verse 2, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan, you will drink from the brook, and I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him, he went to the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I might have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour and a jar and a little olive oil and a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Come home, sorry, go home and do as you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain in the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. There are some houses that God just desires to touch with his presence. There are some homes that the Lord just decides to visit 
Just think of Zacchaeus, who was a very little man, obscure little man, quite hated by the people. But Jesus said, today I'm going to come to your house. God is like that. God doesn't work the way we expect him to do. God doesn't visit the people we think he should. God doesn't use the people we think he should. God doesn't go to the homes we think he should. God just designs it so that he might be glorified. That's why in Paul's writings we we read God doesn't choose the high people, but he uses the weak of this world to confound the wise, to bring to nothing the ones that are, so that no one will boast in his presence. And Here is Elijah, representative of the move of God for his generation, who's been prepared in an obscure location, Kerith Ravine. Very soon, he's going to be anointed to go to a particular house of somebody who's a nobody. An obscure location side, a woman that wouldn't normally be the one you'd expect to be mightily impacted by the move of God, a widow in Zarephath, and he chooses to bless her with the presence of God. Elijah was tantamount to the move of God of his generation. Where where we would see God moving in revival fire in a particular church, this is symbolically what is going on here, that for that generation, Elijah was the equivalent of a move of God. And God chose to bless this nobody, this widow of Zarephath, with his presence. It's important that we understand this because I think the church for years, I've known it since being a boy, they've been looking for widespread revival. And we read about the Hebrides and the Welsh revivals and we read about Brownsville and we read about Azusa Street and we read about many other revivals that fascinate us and we come up with ideas about the way God should move and the way it should look and we have catchphrases from books. But I think it's important to understand that as God positions himself to move, he tends to move, not always, but usually, in this pattern that I'm about to show you now. Now, the thing about this pattern, it's not concrete. God being sovereign can move outside of it. He's not constrained by this pattern. It's just something that he put on my heart as things that we need to watch out for. And the thing is with this pattern is you may think in your history, your own history, of how these four stages have been there at different parts of your journey with Jesus. Stage one, isolation and loneliness. This would be the Kerith Ravine. Stage two, God encounters in an obscure place in the home of this widow. Stage three, resistance. Sidon and Carmel, after the passage that I read, we have a moment where the child dies in the home of the woman. Horrific. Where the move of God is, the child dies. As if to abort what God is doing. And then obviously the chapter after that, chapter 18, is the great confrontation at Carmel, where national demons are dealt with by the man whose name means the Lord is God. And then the rain falls on the land as prophesied by Elijah. Four stages. God prepares a man in isolation at the Kerith Ravine. He comes in that preparation state to an obscure location. The woman receives for two years plus the benefit of his anointed ministry. Then the enemy pushes back on him in terms of killing the child and the, and the Jezebelic Ashtaroth spirits that come against him on Carmel. Elijah routs them all but still comes under the influence of that, those demons and has to run and hide in 
And then, but in spite of Elijah's weakness that is typified in that moment, there's a national outpouring which affects everyone from the kings to the lowest of the low. Gird up your loins, Ahab. It's going to be a massive rainfall. I, I really believe, listen church, before I get into this material, I really believe this, and I've said, I said this years ago, that the Lord would move once the queen was dead when there were kings on the throne. I prophesied this church about 10 years ago. Now, it's easy to pull those things out, but this is a time, I believe, where God is wanting to bring a national revival that will touch the very highest in society. I'm a, I'm a royalist, right? I love our royal family. Other people are a bit skeptical. I love our royal family. I honor them. But God is going to move so profoundly, I believe, in the future that people right at the top are going to get touched by God. Now, listen, because I said this was conditional, and you've got to understand this, because for many people in this room, they're longing for revival, and they're missing the earliest stages. If you study the book of Ezra, Ezra, for example, Ezra's a revival narrative. I once preached a message called Ezra, the key to revival, about 20 years ago, because God stirs up the, the, the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel. God stirs up the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek. Josh, the Lord stirs up the spirit of all the people. He's, he's lighting the fires with obscure people, and he's making things happen, and eventually the revival happens where right worship is restored, and the return to the word of God, and the return to obedience to the Lord. That's revival, but it's done in stages, and I think some of us are looking for this cataclysmic intervention of God in human history, and the Lord's saying, look for the small fires. Because we are despising of the small fires. How is God going to send a national revival when we won't even accommodate in our homes, church or personal homes, the fire of God? The Lord wants us to understand this. You see, isolation was a place of hidden preparation. You must understand, with all these stages, the Lord is the conductor of the orchestra. There's a satanic lie at the moment in the minds of God's people that somehow Satan's running amok. I'm sorry, but I don't read that in the Bible. Jesus is Lord. Amen? Jesus is on the throne. And Satan can only go so far before the Lord said, hold on a minute, that's not. Do you remember it says he'll overcome him by the breath of his mouth? It's not dualism. We don't have equal, you know, darkness versus light. Come on, who's going to win in this wrestling bout? There is no competition. It's like, the, it's like the comparison between an ant and an atom bomb when you think of God and the devil. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Stage one. Isolation was a place of hidden preparation. It was also a place of protection and provision. Jezebel, listen, Matthew Henry writes this, Jezebel was Elijah's greatest enemy. Yet, to show her how powerless she was in her malice, God found a hiding place in her own country. Protected. Isn't that lovely? You can't touch my anointed. He's safe. 
And let me just say this to you, because some of you may not know this Bible verse, but I want to prefix it with this phrase, we are protected too. A few few light amens. Let me give you a scripture. 1 John 5, 18, one of the best Bible verses in the New Testament. Anyone who is born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God, i.e. Jesus, keeps them safe. And here's the best bit. And the evil one cannot, everyone say cannot, cannot harm them. Hallelujah. Isn't that a good Bible verse? The one who is born of God, Jesus, keeps them, the believer, and the evil one, the devil, cannot. Are you taking this in, church? Because there's some really dodgy theology out there about what devil can do. We are, listen, Galatians is clear. We are hidden with Christ in God. How protected is that? I mean, I once saw a man on the beacon. I was walking my dog. Sorry that all my stories are dog walking. I have quite a boring life. I was, I, was, <laughs> I was walking my dog, my little dog. He's tough, but he's small. And there were five French mastiffs who came running at me. Now, do you know what a French mastiff is? It looks like Satan's dog. Sorry if you've got one. Well, perhaps prettier, prettier than that. Muscles. Like, you know, they say a dog is like its owner, right? But I can't wait to see his owner because they ran at me and scout across the field, all of them, like some sort of Disney movie. I thought I'm dead. And the worst thing was my dog went for them from my arms as they're running. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> You're going to get me killed. And then around the corner comes the owner. Steroid Steve. <laughs> On the coin, I thought it's true. Dogs are like their owners. But the protection of God all over us will protect us from anything we're afraid of. Sometimes we feel like I did in that moment with Scout that Satan's at us and we're going to be devoured. Let me tell you, you're hidden and protected with Christ in God, Jesus is Lord. And we can have boldness. I love talking to witches and Satanists because I don't fear them or their magic. I love it. I love trying to win them to Christ because Christ loves them. I once spoke to a Satanist on the street once and said, look, you know you'd lose, don't you? She, she, she was like looking through these cold eyes. She went, yeah. So do you want, do you want to change team? <laughs> Go figure. So do you know that God loves you? Jesus died for you. It's like, oh, make sure you. And she, she she walked off, and very coldly she went. I enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> Kept going like that. But it's because the gospel works with everyone, no matter how dark their life is. And, and the truth remains: wherever you are, God loves you. Jesus died for you, and the Lord is winning the world back to Himself, one soul at a time. But Elijah was protected in Jezebel's own backyard. Isn't that wonderful? In this world, the Lord's kingdom will always rule in the midst of his enemies. Psalm 110 says that, doesn't it? We must understand this, otherwise we'll have this sort of false notion that there'll be a utopia around us as Christians, and we'll have no trouble, and life will be in a bubble. No, life's going to be messy. Revival's going to be messy. People are going to not make you happy. Christians are going to upset you. The devil's going to go for you. But at the end of the day, here's a lovely headline for some sort of Christian tabloid. We win. (laughs) <laughs> newsflash, we win. 
Hallelujah. We win. It's got some people that really believe that right back. That's great. You see, our ears and our eyes often inform us too much. Our ears and our eyes inform us too much. The Bible's very, very clear. It calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. So often we live in the realm of human normalness because we're looking and we're hearing and we're believing everything but God. But listen, the Bible said in the chapter we read from 1 Kings 17, verse 4 and verse 9, it was the Lord directing. The Lord directed. He said, I'm directing you to go to the ravine and the ravens will feed you there, verse 4. I am directing you to go to the house of the widow and she will feed you there. The Lord, with his baton, is saying, now go to Kerith. (laughs) Now go to the widow. And it's a symphony of heavenly advance. And you know what? I, I think sometimes... Our vantage is like we're stood on the dirt outside the symphony hall and not even getting to see and hear the concert. But if you're thinking about the best seats in the house, we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And our vantage seated in the heavenlies, it's the box seats. It's the arena that looks down with the royal family next to you. Might as well be because we're seated with Christ in God. Looking down on this symphony of victory and thinking, Jesus is Lord. I can hear the music of Christ's advance. Isn't that wonderful? We've got the best seats in the house. See, God is conducting world events. It's not the devil. It's not the media. It's not the Rothschilds. There's lots of guff on the internet, isn't there, about hidden power structures, lizard lizard, uh, leaders of the world underground in Switzerland (laughs) are ruling the world. I, I really don't care. Forgive me if you're into that. The Bible says of that, Psalm chapter 2, he who sits in heaven laughs. Why do the nations conspire vain things against the Lord and against his anointed? I don't care what people are doing in the dark back room or what power they think they have. They do not have the conductor's bat on. They are not orchestrating the uh, symphony of heavenly advance. Jesus is taking it forward and the devil has no say in the outcome of what is coming on the earth. Are you listening to me, church, today? Because I've got this... Forgive me if the style's a bit... I'm foaming at the mouth now already. (laughs) But this is the truth. See, we need to get our heads up and rejoice in the Lord. Paul, in a prison, says, rejoice in the Lord. Always. Always. I mean, I, I think sometimes Paul is not human. He's an absolute hero of the faith, the Apostle Paul. But he, he's modeling it to the Philippians, who he loves very dearly, a church he planted. And he's saying, listen, I'm incarcerated in a hole here, but I can rejoice. The whole letter of, of Philippians is all about the joy that this man is gaining from being in a rubbish place. I mean, Elijah at the Cherith Ravine, he said, I've directed the ravens to feed you. Yummy. <laughs> Thanks, God. Imagine the food coming in. Not, somebody say, just eat. No, I'd rather not. <laughs> in comes the birds with meat in their mouth, and Elijah's like, oh. <laughs> it's less, it's less uh, 
Ritz thrills. It's more like Bear Grylls, isn't it? You know, it's, it's like, can can you eat this? No, 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 not today. I'm not hungry enough today. I'll just stick with the this. This water's so nutritious from the Brooklyn Ravine. I'm thoroughly enjoying myself. Eventually, had to eat the meat. It's not. It's not a good place that he's in, is it? The Kerith Ravine, but it's a place of preparation. Like Paul in his incarcerated state, who could rejoice always. Elijah knew because he was obeying the voice of God that he was protected, provided for. And I love the Jewish rabbi's saying that says, I know who feeds the ravens. I think in this world where there is a cost of living crisis and where you might be struggling financially, I do not want to be um, flippant about that. And can I just put a side point here away from my message? We have a storehouse. And the Bible says that we should look after the household of faith first. And so there are, can, if you're an elder or pastor in this room, there's quite, quite a few over at West Hall this morning. Glenn's preaching. John, John Kent's lost his mum, so he's sidelined. But if you're an elder in this room, can I see him? Stand up, Bordy. It's just down... To, can if you're struggling and you can't come to see me, and Beth, Bethan, would you stand up as well because you're an amazing servant with the finances? And Nolan, would you stand up as well for the storehouse? Can you can you see these people? I'm I'm not messing around here. There's too many people who think somebody else deserves helping out, and they live in a place of stress week on week, and it affects their marriage, it affects their kids. Will you please let people discreetly love you if you're struggling? We're very, thanks guys. We're really blessed in this church to have a storehouse. And in a sense, it's a picture of heaven's abundance, isn't it? The, the cruise of oil will not run dry in this church. And there will always be flour available in God's house. God never fails. We know who feeds the ravens. This wasn't a pleasant pathway for provision, but it was the means by which God chose to feed his people. Stage one, isolation. You know, in the isolation experience of lockdown, the Lord used online media to feed people. And whilst online media remains as useful to us as a tool for mission and discipleship, it's not a substitute for face-to-face encounters with people. I think when people think, well, I'm just going to be part of online church, I don't need a local congregation, they really miss the one another statements of the Bible that needs face-to-face community interaction. Even for the introverts amongst us, there needs to be a connectedness. And I think that as we emerge from lockdown, we're in that place now where, yes, we've come back together, you're here today. Well, then you need to understand stage two. And I'm going to read the scriptures again in a minute, but remember, stage two is about God encounters in the home. Now, that can be this church home or another one of the family church homes or your home. But God brings his presence to obscure people and obscure places, and no one in this room is not good enough for that. There's, there's no one in this room who is not eligible for God to come to their door today spiritually and say, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Because God wants to move in your life, and that's not just preaching rhetoric, God wants to move in your life in a way that you've never experienced before. 
I believe what's coming on the earth is profound. I believe that most of the revivals that you cherish in revival history are simply stage two manifestations. <clears throat> we might say like with Arthur Wallace, God, revival is divine in intervention in, in the normal course of spiritual things. It's God making bear his holy arm and working on saint and sinner alike in awful holiness and his irresistible power. Good quote. We might say it is the, 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 the statement of the Hebridean people who said, we felt him on moorland. Outside, out there, we felt him, presence of God everywhere. I, I think that is more likely what God wants to do at stage four. But most of the revivals in history that you see are in local congregation churches. Think of Brownsville, a lot of the Argentinian revival. There was a time in the 1980s, I know the PA to um, Carlos Anacondia. Carlos Anacondia, this is not a personal opinion, this is a fact based on the data. Carlos Anacondia is a more successful evangelist than Reinhard Bonnke and than Billy Graham. You may never have heard of him. There was a time in Argentina before Carlos and there's a time after Carlos where the Lord turned up and blew churches of 40 up to 30,000. Because the Lord moved into the house. The Lord came in and Carlos's ministry had such an impact. Remember, people carry the presence. It's just whether people receive it or not to whether God's allowed to move. That happened to Jesus in Luke's gospel. If people carry the presence in like Jesus and people reject it, then it, it, it doesn't happen. So in Argentina, you have this move of God in Buenos Aires, and Claudio, my friend who was the PA to Carlos Anacondia, he's now Jonathan Conrad's PA, he, he said there were churches in Buenos Aires that were still praying for revival when revival had come into other churches in the city. Now, that's, that's a really shocking idea, but my point in making it is that probably, even though it was widespread and Carlos's ministry was mightily used, I believe, personally, it's a personal opinion, that was stage two revival. Azusa Street, probably stage two revival. If you can receive it, Toronto. Some of you are like, you're out, roll your eyes and whatever. But the impact came out of the house to the nations. But it wasn't like the Hebridean eye. We felt him everywhere. And I think that's more likely what God wants to bring to the nation where you'll not be able to house what he does. The Carlos Anaconda came to England in 2016 and he said... And this was a prophecy, I paraphrase his words. God will move in the nation in the years to come here in England more than he's ever done in human history. More than the Wesleyan revivals. Now, why am I putting my finger on this? Because our, our perspective on re revival is we want the Hebridean example of God just turning up and affecting everywhere. Well, I think <clears throat> quite often for that to happen... It has to start locally first. Even in the Hebrides, those two precious old ladies that were half blind, they were praying, crippled, round the clock. And they knew the Lord better than the evangelist who was sent to minister. And they said, you know, if you knew the Lord like we do, you know you should be in that town, not this town. Move on, Mr. Campbell. But he was like the Elijah of his time. He took the presence. The Lord moved in great power. Some of you know the stories better than me. But it started locally. And then the presence of God hung on the area. I believe that's stage four revival. When the Lord hangs on a location. 
where you don't need to preach a sermon in the post office, but just being in that space geographically, people are convicted of their sinfulness before a holy God. And they'll be asking you questions like the day of Pentecost. What shall we do to be saved? Remember, it says that they were cut to the heart. And I think some of our working for the years before COVID has been moderately productive. But God's not interested in what we can do anymore. He tried to teach us in the isolation of lockdown that we need his presence. It's not a pleasant space. Zarephath became the place that he moved to, but Kerith wasn't a pleasant place. And as God brings the church out of that, some people have emerged from the Kerith ravine like Elijah, learned to develop their faith muscles, learning to depend on the Lord, learned to language of prayer, got intimate with the Lord, got connected to the divine, and come out into communities carrying expectancy. Other people, they're like the lady whose son dies later in the passage, the widow at Zarephath. They've got their head down. And what that really is in, in the stage two setting of revival is a person who's carrying hopelessness born of the suffering that they've been through. They're carrying the negativity mindset based on the things that they've come through. And they're, they're expecting nothing from God. In fact, they're expecting the opposite of what heaven wants to release. So they're saying, um, yeah, we're just going to eat what we have. We're going to eat our seed. And, and, and then we're going to die. And so what COVID did to us, I felt like it sent the church back three years from where we were before COVID, three years. And it's done that all over the Ealing movement, probably in churches all over the world, because what it did to us all, including myself, it made us self-protective, self-interested. We're more inclined to be disconnected than connected. We're more inclined to eat our own seed rather than give to the kingdom. And what this picture of Elijah with give me a little bread is a picture of a woman sowing in a lean time with the little that she has so that there may be fruitfulness in the future. Now, it may not be a financial thing. It may be a spiritual thing. But what I'm talking about is Jesus saying in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom. And I think if you're honest with yourself, as I want to be with myself once I've left this platform, are we really in a place where in the week ahead, we are really day-to-day, irrespective of your business with your job or your family, are, are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Am I seeking first the kingdom of God? Because Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, 33 is, then all the things you need are added to you. So the fact that the oil didn't run out and the flour didn't fail was because that woman postured herself dependent on the man of God or dependent on the Lord. And she repositioned herself out of a negativity and a hopelessness to a place where she was in the flow with heaven's way of doing things. And heaven's way of doing things is different to the way the world would teach us. The problem we have with the world is the world's narrative has been shockingly dark. All over the world, there's a sense of lack, there's a sense of hopelessness. It's like the widow to operate in an earthly mindset where the kingdom of heaven is not seen. And my question again, I repeat it, is I wonder how many of our minds are in that space throughout the week? Are we more earthly than spiritual? See, God wants to visit houses to bring his glory to your home. Can you imagine that? (laughs) But what would he find in my heart? What would he find in your heart? What would he find in my mind? What would he find in your mind 
that is not of heavenly reality. There is no substance to help us in the now. See, Elijah was God-dependent, but a person who's been in isolation, who's not developed the muscles of faith that Elijah developed, has adopted the spirit of the age. We call it the zeitgeist, the mindset of the world. And here's the mindset of our world that we're living in now. You'll be getting it through the media, the news outlets, social media, interactions with other people. Here's number one. There won't be enough. Everything is scarce. Number two, you're going to have to protect yourself now. More than you've ever done before, you're, in a sense, on your own, pal. Get that mask on. Get super protective about everything in your life. Not to decry war masks. I'm not criticizing the, the safety protocols. But the world is unsafe, has been communicated to us. People are fearful. That's why Elijah has to come to that woman and say, don't be afraid. The one that I laughed at before, and I continue to laugh at, but it's out there, so I'll put it out there. The dark, super-rich rule the world, and we're all being duped and dragged along by their clever trickery. That's out there, so I'm putting it out there. Number four, we have no say in world affairs. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. I'm sorry, but that just not is, that's just not the spirit of Elijah. Who, who spoke truth to power because he was in a flow with heaven's kingdom. I think in the future, and I may be wrong in this, but I think in the future, leaders of nations will come to Christian men and Christian women and say, what now? I believe like in the time of Daniel, where Daniel is recruited into the entourage of the king, I believe some spiritual leaders will be brought into government to give advice, to even to a degree, even if it's not announced, tell me what God's saying about this. I believe that God is going to go sh so shake this nation that people will be raised up in that place like Elijah to speak to power. Let's have a quick reset before I move on and bring this to a close. To reset those mindsets of the world that there won't be enough, that you need to protect yourself, that we're not in control, that super rich are really... Here's a quick reset. Number one, the Lord is in charge, as I've said before, and he's conducting everything in this heavenly symphony. Number two, you are safe in the arms of Jesus. 1 John 5.18, there's your memory verse for today. 1 John 5.18. Number three, there will never be any lack for God's people who seek first the kingdom of God. Don't argue with me, argue with Jesus. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and everything you need will be added unto you. In our Elijah story, all the people of the land are suffering with drought and the inception of famine, but God had something in the life of his servant Elijah. He'd prepared him in the secret place of isolation. He'd prepared him in the arena of God dependence. He'd prepared him in the realm of loneliness. And he taught him a valuable lesson that grew his faith to believe for the impossible. Ravens fed him, for goodness sake. Elijah had to endure a kind of supernatural boot camp to bring him to a place where he carried the flow of heaven into every house he went to. Maybe you're in that boot camp now and you just didn't know it. Still going through it, still suffering internally after the trauma of what you've been through. God is doing a deep work in some people in this room and he's changing lives. And it feels like God's abandoned us, but really we're on the operating table. And he's doing something so profound in some of the people in this room that you'll be surprised at who you become on the other side of this. God is at work in you to will and do for his good pleasure. All around this nation, 
And in many nations of the world, the Lord has been preparing hearts like yours for a great revival that's coming. God wants carriers of revival. When God turns up in a local congregation, when we experience the presence of God in our homes or this church home, it's only stage two. God's desire is much bigger. In recent months, I've been to the Lord and complained about a number of things to him. And every time the Lord's just said, think bigger, Steve. He's not answered my question. He's not taken my complaint. He's just said, think bigger. You've got your head down like the widow in Zarephath would be a, re- a way of reframing it. Your thinking is down here. I want you up here looking at the Lord, gazing on the beauty of his holiness, believing for the impossible. Let me be clear, there are those carrying the anointing in this room now, and they don't even know it. Because it doesn't have to bubble, you don't have to come out, come out like a charismatic weirdo to be carrying something for the future. God anoints people. The reception of those particular people will determine whether heaven can flow. Let me say, as I said about Buenos Aires, some church houses will receive it, what's coming, and some will not, some will miss out. And let me be clear, revival is God restoring the church to a well state so that we exist in the flow of what God created us to be. Whilst I do believe that full-blown revival affects saint and sinner alike, to quote Leonard Ravenhill and Arthur Wallace, revival in the church is usually the pattern before revival comes to a nation. Here's one that I really... If you're starting to doze off and you think this is long, listen to this, please, listen to this. Revival is not the fantasy of the hyper-spiritual. Revival is not the fantasy of the hyper-spiritual. Revival is the desire of God for all his people. Revival is not the fantasy of the hyper-spiritual. Revival is the desire of God for all his people to revive what has waned. Revival is necessary. And certainly after the COVID landscape we've just walked through, we certainly need the Lord to breathe on the bones. Listen, church, and I'm not negative about this, but I'm a realist. The church is not well. Forget the world... And I'm not just talking about our church. All Elam leaders I speak to are experiencing the brokenness that came of COVID. In so many places, God desires to put things in order to set church back to where it should be. The the sons of Korah wrote this psalm that speaks of the heart cry of God for revival. Musicians may want to write songs about it. You'll notice that it's the people who are revived first in this psalm. Stage two does come before stage four. Remember, stage three was the resistance that will resist national revival once the enemy spots a house lighting up at stage two. So Psalm 85, speaking about individual revival before national revival. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. Don't you want him to do that? In In England, can you give me a nod? Favor to England? Yes, please, Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Here we go. Restore us again, God our Savior. Do you see I have to do it again? Restore us again, God our Savior. And put away your displeasure towards us. It's okay to say sometimes God's displeased with his people. It's in there. It's in the Bible. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Here's my favorite verse. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? 
Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what the God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people. Some of you need to hear that today. His faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Verse 9, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. Why? Why is God's salvation near to those who fear him, sons of Korah? That his glory may dwell in their land. I love that. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Can you say amen? I love that verse. It's worth studying this one. Psalm 85, if you want to read it when you get home. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Maybe that's something to pray over all week. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Elijah said to the lady, don't be afraid, go home and do as you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Everyone has something. I was very convicted by what Sue said in her word because she used a phrase that I didn't have in my message, though there are themes in there for my message. And it was this sense of give what you, out of what you need. That's a really painful position. We're not just talking about finance, although that is a part of it. But one of the things we can do as disciples is go away this morning and say, what do you want me to give, Lord? Amen? And I believe that the multiplication comes with the sowing. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain in the land. As we move into 2023, it's imperative we host the presence of God in our homes and churches. Without it, we'll die. The widow, in a sense, was right. She was going to go and eat what she had and then die. She was in a place of earthly thinking. But God wants us to perceive life from the heavenlies, where we're seated with Jesus, and believe for heaven to break in against what is possible naturally. If we learn to host the presence in our local settings, being satisfied with that alone, we'll see a national outpouring, I believe, in our lifetime. There will be great pushback. Stage three, I've not had time to mention. The enemy will go for any church that lights up or any individual that lights up in a very targeted way. But those who endure that resistance, who have their Mount Carmel victories, will see the greatest move of God that this nation has ever seen. I wrote this, and I'll repeat what I just said. Warning. (laughs) This is from the Lord. Those who learn to host the presence well will come under tremendous attack. This, though, is a sign that a huge downpour is on the way. And then the Lord gave me this to say from the Scriptures. And then look up. Your redemption draws near. Amen. Amen.